Good evening, welcome to Pigeon Post. My name is Michael, and as much as I try to avoid these midnight editions, here we are again. But um, it's probably appropriate because um, it was probably late into the evening, or at least getting there, when we, um, we find chapter 15. Chapter 14 ends with Jesus saying, rise, let us go from here. So um, I didn't look this up or anything, but presumably that would be when they would have left the um, upper room. And we're apparently heading towards the garden. Forgive the refrigerator noise. <laughs> it's okay. They're apparently heading towards the garden. Uh, it tells us that they get there in chapter 18. And Jesus really is wrapping up what he has to say to his disciples. Judas is already gone now. And so chapter 15 and 16, he'll be talking to his disciples. And chapter 17 is just a prayer. And then by the time chapter 18 gets here, um, Jesus is being arrested. Judas is betraying him. So... Um, what was so important for Jesus to say to his disciples before they were to um, see him arrested and some of them would even see him be crucified right in front of their eyes? Well, um, just a side note, I was reading some Matthew Henry, which I highly recommend. I think Matthew Henry's kind of gotten forgotten in our day with all the great commentaries that we have out there. But um, no less than Charles Spurgeon um, thought that as long as a minister had a Bible and a set of Matthew Henry commentaries, he'd be all right. Um, so I, I commend that to you. It's, you can find it for free online. Um, and he's got a commentary of the whole Bible. Um, so I'm kind of, uh, I don't remember which four words he picked, but he was... I'm saying that this chapter could be some, summed up in four words. And uh, so I think I'm stealing some of his. But uh, I think you could sum it up as fruit, friends, hate, and help. Or you could sum it up as abide, love, world, and spirit. Or if you put those together, um, the basic four ideas that Jesus is getting across here is that if we abide in him, we'll bear fruit and that we should love our friends as he loved us. And he'll define both of those things for us, friends and love. And that the world is going to hate us, but the spirit is going to help us. So when we abide in him, we bear fruit and we love our friends as he loved us. The world is going to hate us, but the Spirit is going to help us. So with those thoughts in mind, we go into chapter 15 of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the farmer. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, 
he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already pruned clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you, as the branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If a man doesn't remain in me, he is thrown out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you will ask whatever you desire, and it will be done for you. In this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. Even as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have spoken these things to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his Lord does. But I have called you friends, for everything that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you will ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I command these things to you, that you may love one another. Okay, so you're going to have to forgive me if this is a little disjointed. I'm just going to kind of shoot from the hip on this one. Um, you know, when we're reading uh, the Word, when I'm reading the Word, I, I like to think about, like, what does this remind me of that I see in the Old Testament? And when you hear the word fruit, um, Genesis 1 through 3 should kind of jump out at you for several reasons, right? Um, uh, first of all, that was the original command of creation to all creation, be fruitful and multiply. So God is all about bringing forth good things from his creation. And we see that Jesus is bringing a new creation, that we are being born again or born from above or born of God. There is a new creation happening here. As Paul will say later, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. So that idea of fruit is there. Um, obviously, also in Genesis, there's kind of this idea of bad fruit, right? The fruit that they were not supposed to eat. Uh, but I think the idea of being fruitful in a good way is more in view here. Um, the other thing that kind of jumps out at me is Jesus says that he is the true vine and we are the branches and that we're going to bear fruit. 
Well, that's his fruit, right? He is the vine. We are attached to him as a branch. And the same sap that's flowing through that vine is flowing through him, through us. And that fruit that comes out is a result of him. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And this really reminds me of um, something that was taught to me a few years ago. That Psalm chapter 1 and really all of the Psalms are about Jesus in some way, shape, or form. But especially Psalm chapter 1, which says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Then it goes on to say the ungodly are not like that. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away. They won't stand in the judgment. Um, So this is Jesus. He is the tree planted beside the rivers of water. He is the blessed man. We are attached to him, and we are bringing forth fruit because of him. Um, Paul later And I'll flip over to this in Galatians, um, which might have actually been written before John, because this is one of Paul's earlier letters. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now here's the part that I wanted to kind of underline here. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Um, I feel like I said some of those weird. I'm sorry if I'm saying mispronouncing some of those. Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's a pretty long list. Um, And he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So while it's not the same exact analogy, um, he does use the term fruit, and this is the kind of fruit that we would expect someone who is attached to Christ to bear. And if we... um, go to the end of chapter 15, um, he talks about bearing witness about uh, him by the help of the Spirit. Or excuse me, the Spirit will bear witness. Yeah, he says both. The Spirit will bear witness about me and you will also bear witness. So a couple different ways we could look at fruit there. Uh, First of all, in Genesis 1, we're commanded to bring forth fruit. In Psalm 1, we have to be attached to Jesus to bring forth fruit. In Galatians It is the fruit of the Spirit. So it has to come by the Holy Spirit that we bring forth fruit. 
but also that fruit could be these things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, or it could be fruit as in we are sharing the gospel and seeing new creation, more branches attached to the vine and bearing fruit. So we're bearing fruit in our personal lives through our love, but we're also bearing fruit in bringing others into the kingdom. Um, and like Christ says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, now there's many other things that could be said about this passage, just like this whole section is really rich. Um, but uh, just a couple of things here. Um, the pruning, right? He says that every branch that does bear fruit is pruned. Um, now, besides the fact that it probably doesn't feel good to be pruned, I would think. Um, but two questions to ask there, like, why does he prune? Why does the father prune the branches that are bearing fruit? And I'm not a gardener, um, but you people that are gardeners um, will probably verify what Jesus says here. He prunes it so that it'll bear more fruit. Okay? And how does he prune it? Well, Jesus says in the very next verse in 15.3, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So once again, we see how important it is for Jesus' word, for the entire word of God, as realized through Jesus Christ, interpreted in, the, in a gospel context, that his words are that important. Those are the things that, that the Father uses to bear fruit in our life. So how can we bear fruit if we're not in his word? Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, the other thing is that this bearing of fruit in verse 8 kind of puts a mark on us. When we are bearing fruit, uh, as in both, both ideas, either seeing people come into the kingdom or expressing the fruit of the Spirit and love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those, we are proving to be as the disciples of Christ says that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Um, so that's kind of the fruit section up to uh, verse 11. And then Ben read all the way up to 17. So in 12 through 17, Jesus kind of elaborates. He talks about keeping his commandments and abiding in his love. And he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another. As I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So being abiding in Christ is going to show this fruit. And part of this fruit is laying down your life for someone. Um, it's more specifically in this passage, it's not just your friend, your homeboy, it's people that are friends of Christ the church, right? So laying down, Christ laid down his life for the church. So we should lay down our lives for the church. I can't tell you what that means, but I think it's one of those things that's between you and God that you, you know whether you are truly loving one another in the way that Christ commands. And, um, yeah, I think, I think that's enough right there. You can dig into that more um, if you like. Let's go on to part two, verse 18 through 27.
The Gospel of John, Chapter 15, Continued If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, since I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you for my name's sake, because they don't know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have had sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I hadn't done among them the works which no one else did, they wouldn't have had sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened so that the word may be fulfilled which was written in their law. They hated me without a cause. When the Counselor has come, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You will also testify, because you have been with me from the beginning. Okay, so... Um... Once again, Jesus makes a lot of really stark contrast, and it's nothing new. We see the contrast um, in Psalm 1, which we uh, kind of quoted earlier, between the, the righteous and the, or the blessed man, singular, and the wicked, plural. And then we see the contrast in Galatians 5, between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, and then right here in verse 18, he talks about the world hating you. And he's talking to the disciples, of course. But by extension, he's talking to us. And he says that if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So... Um, I think that any of, any of us that have um, kind of stepped out and kind of gone against, against the grain, so to speak, or whatever analogy you would like to use there, we just know, brothers and sisters, you know the world is not our home. It is perfectly okay if you don't feel at home in the world because of the name of Christ. We don't seek to make enemies because of a bad attitude or um, just not getting along with people. But this is talking about the reproach um, or the shame in the world's eyes that the name of Christ brings upon Christians. Um, this is not a political thing that Jesus is talking about. Um, and like I said, this is not something self-inflicted that's just because we're uh, being jerks or something like that. In fact, we he just told us how loving we are supposed to be. And he has said earlier how the world would know by our love for one another. And yet the world will hate those 
um, because they essentially hate God. Um, now something kind of jumped out at me contextually here, and that is that Jesus, while he's talking about the entire world, he is talking specifically about Jewish leaders and the Jews that rejected him and are going to reject him. Because he says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. So he's specifically talking about his people rejecting him. Um, that's the place where he said the words. That's the place where he did the works. He also says in verse 25, but the word that is written in their law, interesting, it's his law too, right? But he's making a distinction here um, between them and him, the people that, and his people, the people that he chose, the people who are his friends, the people who are abiding in him. Um, So he says, they hated me without cause. So I, just, I don't know if I have a fully formed thoughts on this. I just, maybe it's something that you can look into for further study. I think it's interesting that they were just cutting down palm branches. So they're literally waving dead branches at Jesus on Palm Sunday perhaps not even realizing that those dead branches symbolized the taking away of Israel from being part of the people of God. I mean, the, it fits with the analogy that Jesus just told us about the branch that is thrown away and withered because it's not abiding in him, and his own people have rejected him. They're not abiding in him. So I think this ties in really well with Romans 11, where Paul says that branches are taken away and that other ones are grafted in. Lots of things we could say about that, but let's just say that, like Paul underlines for us in Romans 11, if you have faith in your heart in Christ, if you are accepting him and receiving him, and abiding in him, this is not a cause to boast in yourself, but it's a cause to boast in the grace of God, because as Jesus says here, that he chose you out of the world. It is not of ourselves. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And despite what some factions of Christianity teach, it's not our love for Jesus that saves us, because the love is fruit, right? So if Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, and Paul says that love is a fruit of the Spirit, that love is not coming from something good inside of ourselves. It is coming as a result of abiding in Christ. So all that to say that we just need to fall on our faces and thank God for his grace of allowing us to abide in him because it's not of our own doing it's not of our own effort it's not of our own um, goodness 
but it's by his grace that we are able to stay in him. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So when we are bearing fruit, when we are loving one another, let us turn and fall on our knees and thank God that he's been so gracious to allow this. Lastly, the last couple verses uh, really get into talking about the spirit who different translations use the word helper or advocate or counselor. And Jesus also calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. And so next time we're going to see more of what Jesus has to say about the spirit. But he says that he will send the spirit from the father and that that spirit will bear witness about him. So if you're hearing about Jesus and it's making a connection in your heart, that is God working through his Holy Spirit to bear witness about Jesus in your heart. And in the immediate context there, it's the spirit empowering the disciples to literally go out and bear witness and be um, evangelistic, as we would say in the church, spread the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. So once again, you see the full Trinitarian God on display in the upper room discourse. So stick with us. We'll be in chapter 16 tomorrow and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.